Good morning. Well, that sounded nice. <laughs> Good morning online, ladies. Glad you're with us this morning. Um, we pray that the study has been a blessing to you and that our final study in um, Timothy, 1 Timothy, will be blessing to you today. Um, so um, I just, I can hardly believe we're in this last few verses of the book of First Timothy. It seems like this time has gone by so quickly. Um, it's, almost, it's almost crazy how fast it's gone by, but it's been such a wonderful study in the book of Timothy, all the stuff that we've learned, and how wonderful that it has paired with the book of Jude, right? Um, but I love this letter. It's, it's a powerful letter. And, you know, I, I was thinking about it. It's like Paul packed it to overflowing, like when you pack a suitcase and you have to sit on it to get it closed. You know, that's almost like what this book is packed in so much. You have to sit on it just to you know, get, get the suitcase closed. But throughout, the, throughout Paul's letter, this whole letter, there are, has been warnings and encouragement, exhortations, wisdom to be had, discernment to learn from, and great fatherly love that he has for Timothy. Um, he answered, Paul answered the many questions and concerns that I am certain Timothy was working through, such as, who are leaders? Uh, how do you select them? Uh, who would be qualified? How do I deal with all these false teachings? How do I, do I have the authority to call these evil things out and those teaching them? You know, I, I would be wondering these things myself, like, you know, you left me here in charge, but what does that really mean, you know? And so I'm sure these things he was mulling over in his heart and his mind, you know, and praying and seeking the Lord earnestly, and then this wonderful letter from his mentor comes and, and tells him. He says, so, so you know, that he, Paul went over the issues with the false teachers not only once, but three times, Three specific times he goes over it in this book, in this letter. Um, so he pretty much answered that question that Timothy had, for sure. Um, and, you know, I was, I was looking at this. Uh, did you know that all New Testament writers give warning to false teaching? All of them do. False teaching was a huge problem then, just as it is today. You know, so that tells you the Bible is still relevant for today, right? You know, because everybody wants to say, oh, it's an old ancient book. Well, that old ancient book speaks truth today, and it still touches what we are facing today. Because um, we, we, you know, it's like with Solomon, you know, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It just keeps coming back around. So, uh, so uh, Paul also spelled out the relationship between slaves and masters, which today in America and most of the free world would be employer-employee, leader, or those uh, over authority over you. We are to give respect where respect is due, and we are not to take advantage of our Christian employer or leaders. Um, don't be that kid that says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up on the inside. <laughs> that attitude is never good, <laughs> and there is no excuse for it when we're serving the Lord. Don't you give yourself, don't allow yourself an excuse for being disrespectful to those who are over you. Um, whether you are, whether it's an unbelieving or a believing employer or leader, don't give yourself an excuse, because it is terrible to work with someone who just causes trouble. Um, be aware of your attitude before the Lord. So, and remind yourself that you work on, on the Lord's behalf while you are working for others, as it says in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. We work for the Lord. Even though we're working for someone else, it's the, we're working on, on the Lord's behalf for these people. Roxanne Brinkerhoff happens to be in my group, and last week she pointed out that we, again, that we serve a, a God of order. But I love this, what she had said. She said, we serve a God of order that we are to respect men that we do see to honor God who we don't see. I think that is really a good reminder for us, that we honor men that we do see, uh, you know, respect men that we do see to honor God that we don't see who someday we're going to stand before. 
Last week, we studied more about the false teachers. Adding godliness as a means of financial gain. You will prosper monetarily if you are godly, they say. And the end reward being money and wealth. That's what we discussed last week in verse 10. But false teachers set themselves apart from the body of Christ. The overall look at false teachers. They always set themselves apart from the body of Christ. They claim special revelations and understanding, you know, something that's new. You know, oh, new. You know, we maybe discover something that we hadn't discovered before, but it's the same truth that it's always been. Um, Pastor Doug called these guys conceited ignoramuses. I, I like that because that's funny. You conceited ignoramuses. You know, I could just see that. You know, um, these guys brought controversies and division into the church. Uh, you know, they brought in bad fruit. Instead of uniting the church, they divided the church. So, you know, you know that there's something going on if, if people are bringing in bad fruit and they're dividing the church instead of uniting the church. Um, they were encouraging discontentment among the people of God. Angela Nedaleski last week uh, said, discontentment is sneaky, and we are to guard against it. It is sneaky. The contrast to this godliness with, is godliness with contentment. That is what great gain is, is godliness with contentment. Angela Nedaleski again said, true godliness is an outward expression of what God is already working out in our hearts. And uh, don't be the synonym to godliness. Don't be a Pharisee, you know. They argued with God, Jesus, right there. You know, like he didn't know what the truth was, you know. Don't be a Pharisee. Angela also went on to say, the margin of generosity becomes very narrow when you are pursuing wealth. Our hearts will be divided if we pursue wealth over God. And that's so true. You know, if you're pursuing wealth over God, your heart will div- be divided for sure. So here's a principle that started back in um, verse 10, and we're going to start there this morning. For the love of money is a root of all, all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So first I want just to point out real quickly that the love of money is a root, not the root. There are many roots to all sorts of evil, but it is a strong root, a powerful root. The pursuit of riches has robbed so many from a sound walk of faith. The pursuit has caused them to wander away from the faith, experiencing ruin in their their walk with the Lord uh, because of their pursuit of money. We have only one safe harbor, ladies, safe and secure harbor, and that is under the wing of the Almighty God. That is our one safe harbor. Um, If we leave the safety of this closeness, we will wander off. You leave the safety of the closeness that you have with under the wing of the Almighty God, you're going to wander off. If we are peeking, always peeking out to see, um, see what other things we could have, you know, peeking out underneath, what's out there, what can I get, you know, um, we played right into, the, right into what Satan wants, and he wants us to be discontent with where we are. He is sneaky. He is seeking to disrupt the closeness you have with the Lord. He will do anything to get you off course, anything. That's why he's so sneaky, because you, sometimes people don't even know until it's bit them. Remember what I shared about leaving or straying from the hiking path back in the first chapter? That it's dangerous if you get off the path? That you are more likely to get lost and find yourself dehydrated, hungry, cranky, hurt, and worse, dead? You know? Don't stray from the path. Stay on the path that is true. And now we come to the final instructions that Paul leaves Timothy with this morning. Paul concludes this letter with a plethora of imperatives and applications to act upon, that he wants him to act upon. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a, we're going to go into almost like a do this, don't do that, run from it um, section. So in verse 11, Paul 
starts with, after what he's given us, he starts with, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And what a contrast from our list from last week, right? <laughs> the word but, that this is an important word here because it introduces the contrast to what was previously said. Okay, so the contrast, uh, the contrast to pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, perseverance, and gentleness is envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicion, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, the love of money, and longing for what you do not have. This is the contrast to the things that we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, these, these can, these ugly things can rise up in our hearts and minds and straight out of our mouths so quickly uh, when we aren't pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, when our perseverance wanes and our gentleness is lost in friction. Um, yet, here in this portion, we move just past the word but, the key word here is flee. We are to flee those things previous, the enviness and the strife. We're to run away from them. Um, in the dictionary, the word flee, uh, one of the um, definitions was shun, to shun. And actually, I really like this because it's a visual to me, to, to shun, you know, because people have been shunned. You know, they, you turn away from them, you never talk to them. And this, this is to turn your back on, to turn away from, and to move towards. And haven't we been hearing that in the book of Jude on Sunday? To turn away from, to, you know, we're to move towards. Um, to never look back with affection, um, to get away, and to keep away, to run away. Don't even entertain the thought of it. Keep your, take your thoughts captive. Don't entertain it. Take them captive. Stay away. It's like a hot stove that will burn you if you touch it. You know, you tell your kid, don't, don't touch that. It's hot. It'll burn you. You know, don't touch. Um, and he says, they are ruined, Timothy, by their love of money, the pursuit of riches. But you, Timothy, as he goes on, you, my son, but you man of God. Oh, man. That would make me perk up to just listen to be called a man of God. This is, this is a huge, huge compliment. Paul, to me, he sees beyond Timothy's youth and sees his heart for God. Um, and I think, you know, what does this compliment, what must this compliment say to Timothy? And I, I love how Pastor Doug explains it. He says, the title, man of God, is one who is God's possession set aside for the service to God alone. The Old Testament, it's used for Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha. They were all called men of God. Uh, one who is called by God to be devoted to his service. Timothy was called a man of God. He was called God's possession. He was told, you are set aside for God's purposes. Because he was set aside for God's purposes, he had great responsibility. And we saw that all through the whole book, everything that Paul has shared with him. So he says, but you, O man of God, flee from all this stupidity, Run away, don't entertain it, don't play with it, get as far away from this teaching that leads to ruin and discontentment as you can. Instead of pursuing vain riches of this world as the false teachers, um, instead of conceit and arrogance, instead of carelessness in doctrine, instead of self-seeking aims, flee from it. Shun it all and, and turn to be like Christ. So we turn away from, to what? To Jesus, to be like Jesus, to, to see and, and keep him in our vision. Um, and what is to be like Christ? How are we to be like Christ? Well, we're to die to self. We are to die to self so that we can live for Christ. We are to put off the old self and put on the new. Paul goes on to lay out what, what we are to pursue. Now, 
before I go into what we're to pursue, I just want you to think about um, where we're headed, which I, I know you probably have already thought about already because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking probably most of you did your homework. <laughs> but I just want you to indulge me a little bit. I want you to think about what this means to you and for you because this is personal, so I want you to take this personal. So think about it for you personally because we are all leaders of some sort, right? Uh, whether it be uh, of one, a leader of one, or a leader of many. Home, work, or church, we lead. There is someone watching. Think about this. What list are you pursuing? Are you pursuing some of both of the lists? What is your pursuit? Let me just encourage you. If you are struggling um, to get away from, uh, strug if you are struggling to get away from what is not of the Lord, if you will pursue this list that I'm going to take a little bit deeper detail into and shun that other list, you will definitely grow in strength, in the strength of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. If you will just shun that other list, and, and look to this list that is godly, you will grow. You will grow. So listen to what you are to pursue, because I think it's really important to know what we are to pursue. You know, we can make this list, and I can tell you, but let's, I want, just want to go into it a little bit deeper. Um, I'm not going to take too much time, but I, I'm going to just share with you what I got from this. So we're to pursue, first off, righteousness is what he lists. We're, we're to pursue right living. Um, we're to conduct ourselves um, in a, as one that is born of God. Um, we're to pursue lifestyle that is marked by obedience and submission to God's command. You know, that we are going to obey what God asks us to do. That's what we're to pursue, righteousness, right living. We're to pursue godliness. That is God-likeness. We're to pursue being like God. Righteousness looks at the outward behavior. Godliness looks at the inward motives and attitudes. Um, we're to pursue pureness of faith. Um, we're to pursue the confident trust in God for everything. Uh, a loyalty to God in all matters of life. That's where to pursue this. Um, it's, you know, and pursue, really, you, it means to run hard after. You know, go after it. So we're to pursue that, run hard after confidence in, in God's power and his provision and his purpose and his promise. Um, we're to pursue love. Um, Paul always couples the word faith and love together. Without love, faith is fruitless, and without faith, love is impossible. We're to pursue agape love. We're to pursue loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love each other as yourself. And we're to pursue loving our enemies. We're to pursue perseverance, which is endurance. Um, pursue the ability to work through opposition and struggles with a I-won't-quit determination. Pursue that, pursue hard after that. We're just pursue hang, uh, hanging in there um, when times get tough. And we aren't to turn from tough times because if we do, we will just be led right back from where we came. You know, we're to pursue, even in the hard times, we're to continue to pursue. Don't turn back. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? That's what it reminds me of, you know. Oh, pillar of salt. <laughs> no longer any, any way to live. So don't, don't pursue what's behind. Pursue what's ahead. And um, we're also to pursue gentleness, as it says. And this is translated meekness. So meekness is not weakness. I always like that one. Meekness is not weakness. Um, but displays the inward confidence and, and composure of one who patiently waits and trusts in God. It's, it has to do with patience. Don't you like that? <laughs> patience. But one who trusts in God, that's what it, sa that's what it, that it, it shows, a composure. Um, it's, it is he who is a composed man. 
Um, Kathy Morales, our conference speaker um, last year, she said, meekness is power under control. And our greatest demonstration of this is Jesus Christ on the cross. He had power, but it was under control. Okay, so these six virtues are the markings of the devoted man, and that who is saved by grace. Paul urges Timothy, and now us, to stay true as we go into verse 12. So I love this verse. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the... Uh, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy made his confession of faith in front of many people. When we make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, we are responsible to live for him. So you make your confession, you're responsible to live for him, because now the people that you've made your confession in front of, they're really, really watching you. They might have looked at you before, but now they're really watching you. Are you going to live what you believe? Are you going to stay on the narrow path? So Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. This terminology is serious in nature. Jude says, contend with the faith. We hear that every Sunday now. Um, contend with the faith. Christianity is not, a, not passive, especially when we are fighting against an enemy that breeds discontentment and lies. It's not passive. Our Christian walk is not passive. This kind of fight is a military term. Um, the military uh, is to protect to protect us from foreign and domestic enemies and are to fight to do so if necessary. Our son, Doug, um, he was a Marine. And uh, in boot camp and then beyond boot camp, they were always preparing him for the potential of war. Um, you were always being trained for the battle. They were always moving forward to be trained in the battle. And that is what we do when we pursue godliness, when we pursue right living, when we pursue love, we're preparing for what is ahead. And it's going to help us get through those tough times. That, that it's just going to come. Life is tough at times, and it's going to come, and we need to continue pursuing what is righteous. And we are to fight for our faith. Um, we are to be on the lookout you know, we are to have a watchful eye that, we, that is aware of the enemy. You know, that it, and that, that is a good thing. You know, we're always supposed to see it so we can see it before it comes. It's coming. We know whether to stand and fight or run, you know. We, we want to see the enemy before it gets here so that we can fight it off. We are to fight, fight to maintain our faith. So how do we fight for our faith? Well, we are to stand and be steadfast in sound doctrine and not move to the left or the right. We need to remain on the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. We're to pursue that righteousness and godly living, and we are to endure hardship all the way to the end. And we can hear our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to maintain this, you must fight for it. Um, it will never come naturally. You know, our faith will never come naturally. We have to fight for it. Just like we fight for our marriage, our friendships, or anything that is worthwhile, we fight for it to remain in it. It requires skill and serious devotion Discipline and training, so we need to be disciplined. Um, we have to have live, live a disciplined life. We had pursuit, chasing after, you know, it's like an athlete, you know, running the race. We're running the race. We have to pursue it, so it's a discipline. We have to discipline and train our bodies, train our hearts, train our minds. So you will go against the common current when you fight for your faith. You know, the common current you're going to go against it. And, you know, the, there is a common current. And we are seeing people every day falling and even jumping into that current. I mean, oh my goodness. It's just, it's like they're just floating on by. Fighting for our faith is the, is the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. Remembering God is sovereign and we are responsible. Don't jump into the current, ladies. <laughs> Be on guard lest you stumble in. 
you know, sneaky. Remember the sneaky thing, you know, be on guard lest you fall in. Um, you know, when we become believers, things don't suddenly become peaches and cream. <laughs> that doesn't. In reality, that is when the real fight begins, right? It's when the real fight begins. We really didn't have an enemy before we became Christians um, because we were in that common current floating by. So once we got out of that common current, now we have an enemy because that enemy wants us to get back in that common current. So we're fighting for our faith. We're fighting for our faith. You know, and I, I don't want to say, I'm not saying that to discourage you, but to encourage you to be on guard. Always be on guard. The great thing is that we are not alone. If we were, it, what would the point be? Praise God we have Jesus. He never leaves us. Praise God that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and then speaks to us and encourages us and says, you're not alone, you're not alone. Be of good cheer. I am with you, you know? Um, we can have peace of mind. We can have peace in the midst of a storm. Have you guys experienced that? Like you've been in the, like the storm of your life and you just ask the Lord for peace and it's just like you have this peace and you're like you're on this own place where everything swirls around you and you just have peace. If you don't and you haven't experienced that, ask for it. He'll give it to you. I promise you, he will give it to you. When the Israelites were in the wilderness and, and heading into battle, the Lord told them, that he would go before them and fight for them. But that did not mean they wouldn't go to battle. They were still to go. They were still to move forward in obedience and faith. They still had to go to battle even though God went before them. God could have just done it all for them and at times, you know, he did. You know, the rustling in the trees and everybody went crazy, you know. But really, honestly, we never learn when we don't put things into action. If we take the step, we learn. Each step we're learning, each step we're pursuing, and we're gonna learn what God has for us. Going God's way is against the flow of this world, and it won't be easy. Therefore, Timothy had to have a soldier's determination, says David Guzik, as do we. We have to have a soldier's determination. I don't know, I, I, in our house, when my son was at home still, <laughs> him and Doug watched a lot of war movies, <laughs> you know, and that was before he went into the Marines. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is these guys were so determined to go into battle and serve the people, you know, for their protection and their safety. They were determined. So we have to have a, a soldier's determination that no matter what lies ahead, that we're going to stay on the road and we're going to pursue godliness, we're going to pursue faith, we're going to pursue righteousness. So there's an exciting part in these verses that I read also, and, and that, part, that part is that we have a reward ahead of us. We have eternal life ahead of us. You know, there's a reward for us holding fast, for being steadfast, for standing firm. Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. You know, looking back and remembering where this all began, he's telling him, the goal is still the same as when you began. The goal is still the same. Eternity with Christ hasn't changed. It began when you first believed and is still the focus for you today. And the calling remains the same. You know, eternity, ladies, is our calling. You know, if, you, if you're ever confused about your calling and you, I'm not called to this or that, um, know that your calling is eternity. That is your calling. And we, we all have the same calling, those of us who believe. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, your calling is eternity. He's going to call you. Um, really, so much of the time we get caught up with what's here and right now, you know, with the political this or that or whatever you get caught up in. A lot of it's that, because that's what seems to be the big topic, hot topic, buzz topic these days. But we lose sight of the basic truth to keep our focus on eternity. Don't lose sight of eternity. That is, that is the basic truth of what we need to keep our eyes focused on. Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. 
It was, when he, it was eternity when we began, and it should be eternity now. As we continue on in our Christian walk of faith, it should always be eternity. Fight the good fight, for your, our salvation draws near. Fight the good fight. Our salvation draws near. When we finish this race and our fight is won, we will take hold of eternity. Keep reaching for it. It'll come soon enough. It will. Keep reaching for it. It's real. Um, my dad recently finished his race. I read this so many times. <laughs> um, but he, he did fight the good fight of faith. And right now, he has taken hold of eternity. Praise God. <laughs> the good fight is everything. It is everything. Timothy made the good confession, the confession of faith before many. I just want to look at that just for a moment. Um, some say that perhaps this was baptism when he made the good confession. Um, his, that, that was his public confession. Others say perhaps it was Timothy's ordination before men. I don't think it matters. But the good confession, the truly positive confession, is not what the faith teachers today say, because that, that, that's become their term, you know. That isn't the true confession, you know, that faith, have faith, and you'll get everything, you know. It's, they're still looking at this earth. They're still looking at what this, this has to offer. That isn't the true confession. The only confession that God is truly concerned with is your confession towards him, giving him the honor due him. Jesus said in Luke 12, 8 through 9, Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man, shall confess him also before angels of, the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. David Guzik says, Timothy had to consider both his calling and his confession so as to, to set his thinking right for the fight. God had called him, and he, also, he had also freely chosen. You know, so you're, he's chosen freely to follow. God called, he followed. He chose to follow. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testifies of the good confession before Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about in the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses mortality, immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. This is not the end, even though it sounds like it. We still have more verses to go. <laughs> but in these verses, um, this charge is out of love for God and the work that Jesus did on the cross before Pilate. And these words are, for love, are because of Paul's great love for Timothy to just pour out who God is. Um, Paul is saying these things that I have written you, you know, the things that he has written to you, Timothy, it's the baton I have placed in your hands. This baton I have placed in your hands, you will answer to God for. I mean, he doesn't mince words here. He's telling them, this is this that I am passing to you, you are going to answer to God for this. God's eyes are upon us all. God sees all things. He witnessed you make your confession of faith, and he sees what we are and what we do. I mean, I think that's a sobering reminder. You know, we, we don't, should not live our life just flippantly. God sees all that we do, and it's, this is serious. Matthew Henry said, This should bring to life in us in the service of God that we serve a God who brings to life all things. You know? He, uh, this is like a reality check for Timothy. You know, check your heart. Keep your heart in the right place. 
Matthew Henry goes on to say, he says, Paul charges Timothy before Jesus Christ, to whom in particular manner he stood related as a minister of the gospel. He's saying you're re you're, he's relating him, his ministry, to Jesus' ministry before Pilate. He said, be, who before Pilate witnessed as a good confession. He says, observe, Christ died not only as a sacrifice, but as a martyr, and he witnessed a good confession when he was arraigned before Pilate, saying in John 18, 36 and 37, my kingdom is not of this world. I am come to bear witness unto the truth that the good confession of his before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, should be effectually to draw off all of his followers, both ministers and people, from the love of this world. It should make us not love this world. It should take that love away. What is the command that Paul is charging him to keep? To pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, regardless of the danger and consequences to stay the course, just as his, and now ours, um, perfect example, Jesus Christ did for us. Right? We're to pursue this, no matter what dangers or consequences that, that we may face, we're to keep the course, stay the course, stay the course, just as Jesus did to the end. If our relationship with, uh, God, is with God at the center, we will have the right perspective on all of our other relationships. <laughs> we will have a right relationship with our possessions. <laughs> if God is at the center, our relationship with our possessions will be in the right place. We will stand for what is right and truthful in the face of opposition. To charge something, like he, Timothy is being charged, but to be charged with something means there is a debt to be paid. So Timothy, what is Timothy's debt? It's to keep himself pure and live a righteous life because all these people are watching him and he's leading them to himself, to things, no, he's leading them to the glory of God and for the glory of God. Um, he says, don't bring uh, dishonor to the name of Jesus. Uh, to do this, he must live with his eyes on the prize. He must keep the main thing, the main thing, always. He is not to be deceived by any of the empty talk or defiled by the impurity of doctrine and life. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ, ladies. You know, I was thinking about this. There are companies out there and employers that will fire someone if they misrepresent their company or their business. They'll fire them. And you know, it's easier to see that nowadays with all the social media. But so if an employer or a business would fire somebody for misrepresenting a company, why wouldn't we take our are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords seriously. I mean, that is eternal representation. We represent eternity. Paul told Timothy how long we are to live this way, you know, the pursuit, not looking back. He says, I tell you, we are to live this way until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ whether in death or when he comes on the clouds for us, we are to pursue this kind of living. The hope of the church truly is the coming of Christ. It truly is the coming of Christ. I mean, what are we living for? You know, are we living just to have rules and to have, pursue these things? Or are we living because we know our hope is heaven? Our hope is to be with Jesus. Pastor Doug said, the early ch church lived with expectancy of hope in his return. Yeah, and today we see people living as if he will never return. And the church is weakening because of that. You know, if we're not hoping in his return and sharing that with others, the church weakens. There is a hope, there is a worship song that I just, I love this worship song, it's, um, but the, in the lyrics it says, look up, look up, your help is on its, his way. Look up. 
We need to keep looking up. He will return. He will return in his time, and we have to trust that his timing is best. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in 15b, who alone possesses immorality. (laughs) That is not the truth. (laughs) Who possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. (laughs) Whom no man has seen or can see. It's like Paul just breaks out in this adoration and praise, you know. He says, our God is sovereign. You know, he is supreme. He has supremacy. He is eternal. He is without end. He alone is the one who has the right to offer eternal life to us. He alone is the source of eternal life. He lives in unapproachable life. He is holy and dwells in the holy place. Jesus will return. He will return, and only then the one and only true God will be revealed. Oh, my goodness, I cannot wait. You know, God, not money, will reign. Isn't that a relief? God, not money, will reign. He will reign, he will reign, he will reign for all eternity. And then he says, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever eternal authority. Amen. Now Paul's final words to Timothy. He goes back to charging him. (laughs) In 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be Uh, rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which life is is life indeed. You know, the good news here is is that um, rich people are believers too, you know, Um, but being rich isn't without its challenges. You know, and he lays out some of those challenges. So some of the challenges are like being conceited, um, fixing their hope on uncertain riches, struggling to do good, struggling to be generous or sharing, uh, storing up earthly treasures rather than heavenly treasures. The main thing to notice here is that money is the world's everything. It can be a trap, and this trap is used so often by Satan. Pastor Doug said, if your money causes you to be arrogant and proud, it is a sure sign that you are measuring yourself by worldly standard, a sign that your money owns you more than you own it. Ooh. That it, Proverbs 3, 34 says, God always opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We are to be humble with our money, with our resources. Teach people not to put their hope in their wealth, Paul tells Timothy. It is so often uncertain. And you know what? We see that today. Look at our economy. You know, we're, we're witnessing that. Look at our economy. Just the gas prices alone will eat up what we think we have. You know, you're starting to think, I think I have enough in the refrigerator to do dinner tonight. I won't run to the grocery store. You know, Things change so fast. They can change so fast. In a moment of time, your whole life can be completely altered. You know? To put your hope in wealth is to build your house on the sand. And if you build your house on the sand, what does it do? It falls, yes. Hope in wealth is to undermine trust in God. Wow. That's something to really keep in the forefront of your mind. If I'm hoping in my wealth, I'm undermining my trust in God. There is no foundation in worldly wealth. It is, it is uncertain. It has no eternal value whatsoever. Can't take it with you. You know, like all the pharaohs who were buried or embalmed or whatever they did to them, they took all their riches and put them with them instead of utilizing them for their people when they died, you know? They can't, you can't take it with you. You're not going to get up and, and use them. You're dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
We are to teach instead that, that instead of trusting and um, putting hope in their wealth, that hope can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the contrast to this is the Lord is the one who, rich, who, will, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He actually provides us with things for our enjoyment, not your money. Have you, have you considered that, you know, that God gives you things for your enjoyment? I mean, God is the giver of good things. You know, he's, he's not going to give us a scorpion, it says. You know, he's going to give us good things, things for our enjoyment, not for our worship. Things for our enjoyment, not for us to worship. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's solid and firm. It's not going to just disappear when the light changes. Wealth may, not, may come and go, but God's goodness and gift will not. So who is your God? Money or God alone? Ugh. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions that are necessary. The conversion of the heart, mind, and the purse. Of these three, it may well be that we moderns find conversion of the purse the most difficult. <laughs> In verse 18, it says, command them to do good. This is not because Paul is jealous or greedy, you know, do good with their money. You know, like he doesn't want you, he's not saying have them give it to me because I'm, I'm greedy about it. But he wants those uh, who love God to have fullness of life in Christ. Jesus came that we would have abundant life, not a redundant life. You know, repeating the same nonsense over and over. Money is not the fullness of life. William Barclay said this of money. He said, money itself is neither good or bad. It is simply dangerous in that the love of it may become bad. With money, man can do much good, and with money, man can do much evil. With money, a man can selfishly serve one's own desires, and with money, he can generously answer the cry to his neighbor's need. With money, a man can buy his way to forbidden things and facilitate the path of wrongdoings. And with money, he can make it easier for someone else to live as God meant him to live. Money brings power, and power is always a double-edged thing. For it is powerful to good and powerful to evil. Fullness of life is always found in the pursuit of God, making him the center of your life. Not any of the false teachings that we have heard you know, I've known, I've known people, I've, I've had friends and I've known people that had everything this world could possibly offer. But I can tell you the worst for me was not them. It was myself. I, I, I moaned over what I didn't have and the attitude that I had is, and I probably never will, you know. I don't have this or that, and I probably never will. You know, I moaned over what I didn't have. That, that had to be, to me, the saddest time for me. You know, I, uh, that is a sad state. Um, I'm glad I'm not in that anymore, but it is a very sad state to be in, and it's something you have to wrestle out with the Lord. You know, do you really need all those things? Is that what you really want? What do you want from me, Lord? You know, if we can fully surrender and trust him with our lives, what do you want from me, Lord? And we'll stop moaning about what we don't have. My mother-in-law, and many of you knew her um, before she died, but she was one of the most generous people I have ever known. Um, she was, uh, one time, at one time in her life, she was very wealthy. But at the end of her life, she had lost everything. Um, but she never stopped giving, never. Uh, she never held back from being generous. She always tried her best to help people in need. She worked hard to learn to put others before herself. And I watched the Lord just bless her tremendously. She worked hard to keep her mind on the things above. And I know without a doubt that she laid up treasure in heaven where moth nor rust can destroy. Her foundation was solid. 
we get this oppor one opportunity here in this life to store up treasures that are eternal. The money we have here may be worth something, but it is worth nothing in heaven. The gold that is important here is pavement in heaven. We walk on it in heaven. Ladies, I encourage you to invest in the eternal and let money be a tool, not your treasure. The real measure of, uh, of our wealth, um, Hewitt says, uh, is how much we'd be worth if we lost our money. If God has blessed you financially, use it for him as a blessing for others. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So before I get to our last verses, I just have to stop, because this has been really heavy for me. I feel like, why is this? Why do I have to teach this? You, know? <laughs> this, you guys, you know, you're so bad about your money, and you're, you know, it's like that, I feel like I'm just scolding, but I mean, it's a good reminder, you know, to don't, don't let money be our God, you know, don't serve money, let money serve us, allow it to be our tool, serve God, he has riches in heaven, pursue godliness because that's worth something. You know, but just I just want to say to you guys that um, we are a blessed church. We are a blessed church. We are so blessed. Um, I, I have not seen one person threatened by giving somebody twenty hundred, whatever how much money they give people that are in need. I not one person is threatened or worried or, you know, or you know, oh this is mine. I, I have not seen that at all. Um, you guys give generously. I mean, I, I, I had proof of that from Friday night at the auction. I mean, my goodness, so, such generosity. It was overwhelming. But even more, more important than that is how generous you are towards each other. I mean, the love that people have in our church for each other just makes me want to cry and rejoice all at the same time because it would be the same tears, tears of rejoicing. You know, um, we, we've heard of so many getting help from people, from, from probably many or all of you here. I don't know. I don't know who gives what, but thank you. Thank you so much for loving each other and caring so much for each other that you're just willing to give everything that you have. I mean, we are very, very blessed here. So, I mean, I, I, a message like this could make you feel like maybe I'm not giving enough, and I'm telling you, you guys have been very generous. Thank you so much. But if you're dealing with any of this, seek the Lord in it. Seek the Lord in it all. He'll help you. And if you pursue what is righteousness and godliness, you will have right living. You will know what to do. You won't listen to those false teachers that says money is the way to go, that it's going to show you that, you, you know, that you're serving God. It's going to pr prove that you're a godly person because you have wealth. That is not the truth. I have met more godly people that have nothing and are still willing to give you their last nickel, you know, so pursue the Lord. So our final verses, Paul says, O oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding, the, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. And I, you know what? I just feel Paul's heart for Timothy here. I do. You know, O oh, Timothy, you know, just that love. Uh, this, it's not a questioning, oh, you know, oh, Timothy, you know, what is this, you know? It's not that. This is a giving, a passing on, a heart of love, a protection, a concern, a care that one, that, um, a care one that hopes he, uh, that he is communicating all that he needed to communicate to Timothy in this letter for him to do the work that the Lord has set before him. Um, one that knows that the message that he's going to be sharing and the job of leading that is before him isn't an easy one. I mean, this is the, oh, Timothy, oh, guard this. Guard this precious word of God. Guard what is true. Guard it with your life. You know, and um, he's concerned about it. I mean, he even talked about his stomach issue, you know. Um, Paul is very concerned, and he wants him to he wants him to finish well. He wants him to do well, you know. And you know, quite frankly, the position that Timothy has been asked to take on 
comes with great responsibility to the truth of God's word. Um, to speak it and to live it boldly. I mean, he's telling him, you've got to live this out loud. You've got to speak this out loud. You need to take the bull by the horns, as you will, and ten- give the truth to the people so that they know the truth. You know, I, mean, I, I can think of many people who have come to church here from different walks of life and other churches maybe even that sit underneath the word spoken verse by verse by verse by verse and say, we didn't know that there was a place that would talk, teach verse by verse that actually taught, you mean you teach through the Bible? You know? Yes, because that is where you're going to get the truth. That is where you're going to be corrected. That's where you're going to find true love. That's where you're going to learn how to pursue the things that are, are of God verse by verse, knowing the word of God, speaking the truth. Paul here is passing this over to Timothy. You know, he's passing this baton to him. And, and, you know, I feel this actually personally, you know, the passing of the baton. And um, like Paul, I feel the great responsibility to all of you as I turn women's ministry over here in a few months, you know. Um, I also feel for, for Angela as she takes it on. (laughs) <laughs> I know what it's like, <laughs> you know, um, I could say like Paul, you know, oh, Angela, <laughs> the main thing in ministry is to keep the main thing the main thing, you know, don't let anyone or anything infiltrate the front line, hold steady, guard what you've been entrusted with, protect it, and don't let anyone rob you of it, no one. Protect it. Protect what is true. Protect the word of God. Protect those who love God because that is what God is asking you to do. Teach what is true. Don't teach what is a lie. Don't get caught away. Don't be blown away by what is, what is not the truth, what is false. Stick to the truth. T- stick to the narrow road. Paul has here in this book has laid out the faults, the strange, and the difficult the church has been having in Ephesus in this letter here. He has warned Timothy in these last verses, and he exhorts him. He says these three things in an exhortation that I want to close with this morning. Flee, follow, and fight. Flee, follow, and fight. I like how Warren Worsby says this. He says, flee these things, pride, covetousness, and false teaching. Sometimes the finest thing the Christian soldier can do is run run away from what is evil. In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul commands Timothy to flee youthful lust. This is what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tempted him in Genesis 39, but it is not enough just to flee. We must also follow, and we must also fight for the faith. So, what things should we flee from? false teaching, godless chatter, opposing ideas to the truth in the word, ideas falsely called knowledge, you know, people who have this great knowledge that has nothing to do with the Bible. Weigh it by the Bible. Um, Flee from profane nonsense and foolishness. We must follow the truth of the gospel in the word of God, and we must fight to protect it. In us, in the church, and in the body of Christ overall. Fight to protect the truth of God's word. Profession, uh, profess the word of truth, proclaim it to all who will hear, hold fast in the faith, stand strong in love, grace, and mercy. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Take it to heart. Stand on what is true. Hold fast to what is true. Do not listen to the faults. And if you're not sure, read the word and ask people, where is that in scripture that I can find it? Because the word of God is true, living, active, and for today. It is the most relevant book that there is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this first letter to Timothy. 
It's so powerful and packed with so much, Lord, and we packed in so much this morning. I just pray, Lord, that you would just minister to us as we go to our groups, as we just share with each other the things that you have um, brought to light uh, through our study, Lord, that the things that maybe we've heard even in teaching this morning, hopefully something has been said this morning that has come out of my mouth that is going to prick our hearts to cause us to fall to our knees and surrender everything to you and live for you fully, wholly, and completely, and that we would... Um, take up the charge to speak the truth of the gospel, to flee what is evil, and to follow what is good, and be obedient to your word. So, Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for these ladies who are here. I pray that you bless them and minister to them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen.